Hello! Hi! Hi, and hey. welcome back to Praise Dionysus! Praise, Praise him! Today, thanks, thanks. Today we're going to be talking about Cleo's Stratos by Cracked Actors Theatre, The Waiting Room by Silver String Productions, Villainy by No Mates Productions, Moving Light Productions, and The MC Showroom, mm. and Elvis, A Musical Revolution at the Athenaeum. Ah! Thrilled. Excited. Y- yes. Yeah. Ah. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. Jake, dare I say, hit it! <laughs> James. Hi, Jake. Hi, good to have you back. It's nice to be back. What a pleasure, what a thrill. Mm. Uh, Yes, I took some time off uh, (laughs) for various reasons. Yes. Most of them tragic. Most of them tragic, genuinely. (laughs) Most of them tragic and family drama related. So... No also need... fun things too. Oh, sure, I have done some fun things. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's no room for sadness. <laughs> <laughs> keep it perky, keep it perky. Yeah, I had like a migraine the other day. Uh, I these are uh, the happy things you're listing. These are the happiest things I can think of that I have done recently. God, starting with a migraine. Starting with a migraine. No, I'm kidding. I was just telling a big funny joke. No, my sister's <laughs> in town from London. Great. Uh, which is lovely. I haven't seen her in like. Probably like well over a year now. She's been living there for like nine years, mm. and now she's back, baby, for like a month. So that's been really great. Mm-hmm. Hanging out with her. Yeah. Um, we had like family dinners. I've uh, been hanging out with Flynn, my boyfriend. Don't get into it now. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. Wait. Mm. That also happened in your absence. Yeah, I've been gone for a month, and now I have a boyfriend. Yes. And in that month, we've been together for nearly three years. Oh my god. I well know done. it's a big, fast world out there. Mm. Uh, so I've been spending a lot of time with Flynn, which has been lovely. Uh-huh. Um. God, I've got Still in the honeymoon period, I suppose. Jake, this is going to sound so lame. Go ahead. We've left the honeymoon period and entered into what I can only describe as bliss period. Uh, it's better. It's better than the honeymoon period. Uh, all of it. God. The relationship, the communication, the sex. It's all better. Oh. It, was this, it just keeps getting better, all of it. Hmm. Yeah. What do you make of that? I can't make a single thing of it. Neither can I. It's bizarre. Neither of us really know what to do with this, but it's wonderful. Oh my god. Yeah. So that's so nice. you're just holding hands and walking into the unknown. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. And loving it and having a great time. Um, say something funny so we can keep this on brand. Ah, funny, funny, funny. I continue to not have a boyfriend. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> Look at me go. <laughs> Thriving. He's got a banana on his t-shirt. I do. You just give, yeah, a little ear. Sneak behind the curtain of you not being able to see us. Yes. Yeah, I asked him why he had a banana on his t-shirt. Jake, what's the answer? I wanted a t-shirt with a banana on it. Wonderful and normal thing to say. Thank you. What have you been up to, Jake? <laughs> um, sorry, I just want to flag that I'm fine not having a boyfriend. I feel like it sounded desperate and sad. I'm fine with it. We Unless you're great, I've got no time for you. We have an email, we have an Instagram, you can reach out and uh, get in touch with Jake. Yeah, yeah, seduce me clunkily via email. Oh, we can Through the Praise Dionysus email. Of course, that's what it's for! <laughs> yeah, that's right there! Yes! Invite us to shows or flirt with Jake. <laughs> you've got male style. Or you've got male could also be, like, men. That's true. What do you think of that? Has that recently been, like, a gay cabaret title? Uh, definitely would have been, yeah. Would have, for sure. It's certainly happened. I just wonder if I've seen it. No, I'd remember. Going postal. 
the mail room. I feel like the mail room was something. The mail and what is it? In my head, I'm imagining it's like a like a one of those sexy boylesque shows, but it's all set in like a like a post office mailing room, and you have all the different characters that come in and do different burlesque acts. Oh. Like one of them is like sorting into all the high shelves, and they're doing all these tricks on the ladder. The other oh, one is yeah. sort of like diving in and out of like a big thing of letters and they're quick changing or something. I wonder how narrow and banal like a circusy, burlesque cabaret thing has been in that type of way. Because it's easy to do one and be like, okay, the theme is garden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the theme is the stars. Yeah, but what if yeah. the theme was like Thursday afternoon? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I think didn't Boylesque do, was it Boylesque? Is that what they were called? They did like a uh, like classroom setting or something like that. Okay. Which is like, you know, I want narrower. I want, want narrower. I want the aftermath of a bushfire. No, I don't. Come on, come on now. We I, spoke about this. I guess I want very specific. Something like a mail room, but somehow narrower than that. Something very limiting. See how like the sorting room of a post office is exactly what you're looking for? I guess I'm going... But, Sort of, but I think it's even a little bit too fertile because you can like open up the parcels and find things in there. Okay, sure. What if it's just like um, a laundry, like a laundromat? A laundromat. Sure, yeah. Because then there's, La- in, there's that thing of like... But I think it, it has to be like a laundromat in a particular context or place. Like a laundromat okay. after a bushfire. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! I don't know. We'll work this out. Okay, we'll work on this. We'll let you know when the mail room is going to be on. <laughs> Uh, and it may or may not be set in the mail room. Anyway, you've got Mail, a movie that I can't really rewatch because the part where only Tom Hanks knows the truth makes me anxious. Is that a movie that's happened recently? It's no, it's like late nineties. <laughs> I was probably five years old. Meg so. Ryan and Tom Hanks. She for some reason finds him charming. Oh, Meg and Ryan, he's... I know that name. Yeah, beautiful Meg Ryan. What is she in? She's in You've Got Mail, Sleepless in Seattle, no. The Women. No. Um, really disappointingly boring, given how wonderful the cast is. Oh no, okay, no. Um. What else? No, and then Meg Ryan, how else has she touched me through cinema? Think Harry I'm... Met Sally? No. I don't know. She's so beautiful. She is who my I'm like sister is named after. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her, and I think to some extent the Meg from Little Women as well. Not the Meg from the Meg? No, I wish. <laughs> God, this is my daughter, the Meg. <laughs> Did you say Meg? No, no. Don't worry, I made lots and lots of jokes about it when that perfect movie came Did out. Did you see the second one? Have we discussed not this? Not yet. No, Still? I, I have to be in the right mindset. I saw Lie With Me twice at the cinema, but I have not seen the Meg 2 yet. So you're the right, right, right mindset for Lie With Me. Yes, of course. Uh, um, yeah. Okay, let's stop all this Great. Shit. Oh, we also did a Fringe show together. We did do a Fringe show. It was called Pornographilip. It was. Uh, it was fun. I had a great time. That's good. We did it. We <laughs> yeah. survived. Uh, we survived. All through. Uh-huh. In one piece. Yes. Yep. 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 Um, um, good. And how have you recovered post-show from that? Uh, good. I think it's 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 kicked, kicked uh, me into gear in terms of like, I just want to do more now. And I haven't done shows in a very long time since then. Mm. Before that. And now I want to do more. So thanks for that, Jake. Appreciate it. Your friendship <laughs> is valuable to me. And that experience was one that I'll remember forever. Valuable as a commodity. One Va- that will fuel your Valuable as like, I don't know, you're a... No, no, no. Forget, no, I don't need compliments. No, oh. no, I need psychological help. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've got a shirt with a banana on it. I do. <laughs> Thank God. Um, no, no, and not to dwell on it, but I enjoyed Live With Me because it, it was nice. It had been so long since I'd seen a movie that I really wanted to see again at the movies. I can't remember the oh, last sure. time that I, that I saw a movie twice at the cinema. I'd go again. I saw uh, Everything Everywhere all at once, I think, twice in the cinema. Okay. And I loved it. Because you wanted to understand the nuance of the bagel and whatnot. 
I just don't quite understand multiverse theory. <laughs> I just don't quite understand multiverse theory. God, I, I don't know if I've ever cared like less about a thing than I do about multiverses. I'm done with multiverses. You oh are. God, I'm done with multiverses. Listeners, I've got Marvel fatigue. It's oh no! <laughs> I used to be a huge Marvel fan, mm-hmm. and I still, I will still watch. Aesthetically, you're still a Marvel fan. Yeah, sure. I like the way a lot of it looks even then. I mean, uh, you look like a Marvel oh, fan. Oh, no. Yeah, that's right. I went devastating. Oh, no. Okay. Yes. Was, I wasn't even prepared for how devastating that would be. Yeah, no. You look like a featured extra in The Big Bang Theory. Continue. Oh! Yeah, that's right. The <laughs> Big Pot. <laughs> Is that what they yes. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know either. I don't know. I just wish Kaylee Kawoko were doing better things. I haven't seen the flight attendant. Is that the girl? That's the girl. The girl. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Mm. Uh, what about Young Sheldon? Do you want to watch that? No, thank you, but okay. thank you for the invitation. That's all right. That's all right. Do you want to talk more about your Marvel fatigue? No, I just got it. Got it real bad. Yeah. I tried watching, I tried starting to watch Loki and I was like, actually, I'm not invested in the stakes they're trying to set up in this. Mm. And I just stopped. And I will watch it. It's all out now. So now I can just watch it all in one fell swoop when I'm bored. But like... Because of like time sunk cost? Well, it's just like I'm no longer, I don't have the itching feeling of, there are shows that come out that I think, oh, I need to watch this immediately mm-hmm. with the day it comes out. I don't care about any Marvel things anymore. <laughs> I will go and see them if, like, my if Flynn would like to go and see them, or if like the TV show is all released and I'm bored. But I just don't care anymore. You're not at the place where you're like, I need to know what the Black Widow's dentist was up to during the Infinity War. <laughs> I don't know if any of those things are real. <laughs> <laughs> some, some of them were. Yeah, Infinity War was pretty good. Um, oh, good. I don't care anymore, Jack. I don't care about it. Oh, Marvel fatigue is spreading to you your know other what? interests. It's lost. It's lost the Marvel. Oh, for oh, me. Okay. It stopped being marvelous. Oh golly. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, how would you rate your past? I guess life, Jake. Past life. Well, I just want to bring up quickly as well that I oh, went to the just very, no, so fast, so fast. I'm just thinking when I came into this, but like, oh, what's the thing I need to bring up in order oh, to like, summarize? Oh, go on. Then. We're all waiting. I was just thinking. Yeah, I went to like the the, the launch of the Tarantella Festival, which was exciting. Oh yeah, yeah. That was fun. It was nice to be invited to that. That was cool. And yeah, talk to me about that a bit, Jake. Uh, oh sure. Well, the Tarantella Festival has now opened and is happening down in Melbourne. A tiny bit, though. Tarantella Festival. Mm-hmm. So it's like run by Segmento, which is a magazine and also like an organization that believes in the value of sharing cultures with other cultures in order to foster a sense of global harmony. Which I think is just... What like a bad a, idea! Gross, right? Oh, yucky. Everyone in their boxes. That sounds fabulous. <laughs> yeah, it was wonderful. Mm. Um, even as like a launch thing, it was really lovely seeing some like Italian artists that have been like flown in to show us, you know... The, the, the lira. The, yes. You're now obsessed with the lira. I'm obsessed with the Calabrian lira. <laughs> it's so nice. Is there a difference between like a regular, any other lira? A regular? Yeah, there's like Greek ones and it's like oh, also sure, them sure. as well. Like traditionally, they're kind of like little like banjo-y violin things. Mm. And they like uh, like traditionally are like handmade and then you like play your own lira so they're all kind of like quirky and different to each other oh my god I love oh my god and it was just like one of those moments like I was watching this man this like professional Calabrian lira play a man play his lira Mm -hmm. I was like this is so transfixed did you fall in love Oh, I fell in a bunch of stuff. I was like yeah. watching him as little fingers and the sound of his music, and I was like, "What is this feeling?" That's it's the like, feeling of love. Oh, it's like the feeling that I, I don't know why this is what I'm going to. When Bradley Cooper was in that stupid nightclub during the part of the, A Star Is Born that's still good, and there's that shot of Lady Gaga lying on the bar, and the lights are swooping across her face, and you're thinking, "How did this struggling waitress afford all this plastic surgery?" And he's having the experience of like, "My God, this star is so born." <laughs> um. Yeah, uh, that's, that's how that I, wasn't for me, guys. It was trans- that, was, that was for you, so I hope <laughs> you appreciated that. <laughs> it was a very like transcendent, like that thing of like you know those. I don't know if you know this. Um, I don't know if anyone does <laughs> that, that study Calm they down. did. I'm just excited about the lira. <laughs> um, but that thing of like they were they were um, studying brains, and they, I imagine they put people in those 
big white tubes where they put people when they look at their brains. An MRI. Yes. Yep. And they were, they showed them beautiful art. And they really, oh god yeah right yeah, yeah yeah and their brains just go. Poof. I didn't see the boosh. I saw like the, the brain activity <laughs> spikes. Sure yeah yeah and I like you know read the analysis of that spike observation and it was like the thing that beauty does to you is it sends you into a like a space of meditation and that's mm. the feeling that, that you know when you see something beautiful that's what happens to your mind is it, it sends you to the same place as when you're in deep meditation. Oh. Um and I guess I was somewhere there with the Calabrian Lyra just like oh my god. <laughs> And how long is that? Is it a festival? Is it a... Uh, yeah, it's like a festival and it's also like they run a bunch of like workshops and stuff to like, they go to schools and teach them about like, especially like South Italian culture, oh, um, which is where the Tarantella is from. I love the Tarantella. Why do you love the Tarantella? Uh, in primary school, I think, because we, we, we learned Italian in primary school. Mm-hmm. And I just remember seeing like a few people dance the Tarantella at like some like primary school fairs that we had. Mm-hmm. And it was just always a very romantic and like fiery dance. It's fiery, yeah. Because I, I also learned at this launch that it was like invented as a dance in the Renaissance period huh. to like overcome. Because there, there were like people working in the fields in southern Italy would get bitten by tarantulas. And then the idea was that if you succumb to the venom, it would like try to make you go unconscious and kill you. But if you danced the tarantella, you could like beat the venom and it would no. and it would not kill you. It's like one of those things where it's like, did this really happen? Or yeah, is it some yeah, sort of like yeah. folkloric legend? That's a nice legend. Isn't it nice? I love that legend. Yeah, I mean, a lot of farmers getting bit by spiders. How would you rate your last chunk of time out of five stars? Oh, look. Oh, not many. It's been a bit of a shit time, mm-hmm. honestly. So sure. I'm, I'm going to say one. But it's like a cold, dying, faded star out in the distance, so far away that the light of its birth hasn't even reached us yet. But it's already dying. Gosh. What about you? Um, I don't know, like eight, because it's, <laughs> <laughs> like, fine. <laughs> anyway, okay, great. Um, shall we, like, talk about some theater? I Yeah, I suppose. Okay. Um, pl- DJ, let the music play. <laughs> du, 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 du. Hi, James. Oh, Jake. Hey. Hi. Hi. Hello. I went to the theatre. Okay. I went to Cracked Actors Theatre, which I love going to because I love the venue so much and That's the people the there are great. the pool. Yeah, by the what? pool. By the pond. The lake, right? Pick one. Lake. Yes. 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 Ding, 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 ding. Bodies <laughs> of water, I get confused. Yeah, next to like Albert Park Lake. Oh, that's and a beautiful little spot. Yes. It's beautiful spot, beautiful venue. It's just like the whole thing, everything. Mm. As I, yeah, I spoke to a few of the people that like work there and it's like, you know, integral players in the ecosystem of the world there. And I said, mm. as I said to them after the show, I was like, my God, I love being here so much. Like the energy of the place is so great. The enthusiasm is cool. What's it's wrong? like crack. Oh, Cracked Actors Theatre is crack to me. There you go. <laughs> Take it. Cracked Actors Theatre, that's yours. If anyone ever repeats and no, came if up anyone ever says that that's a sentence I said, I'll deny it. <laughs> and you can't prove it. I do love Cracked Actors Theatre, though. That you can say, I sure, said. Sure, absolutely, yeah. And we have the recording to prove it. We do. Um, so I went to see Cleo's Stratos. Now, can you explain to me what you're saying? <laughs> so, like, Cleo, like the magazine... Does anyone else remember that was a magazine? No, Jay. Cleo. Like the first syllable in no first two syllables in Cleopatra. There we go. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a name, right? It's like a woman's a name. Person. The name of a woman. Yes. yes. So Cleo's Stratos. And is that something we should know, or is that like a show-specific thing that gets revealed? Depends who you speak to. I think it's it is a car in the universe of Cleo's Stratos. Okay, sure. So Cleo's car. It's basically. like saying like Rebecca's Holden. Thank you. I Rebecca's think... Holden to what? 
I don't super duper know if a Stratos is a real model of car. Do you want me to look it up right now? Mm, yes. Well, let's have a look. Yes. Um, the play itself was written by Peter Heavenheld and it was directed by Matthew Richard Walsh. Oh, here we go. It's a car. Lancia Stratos. Oh, it looks very like... Oh, it looks old and modern at the same time. It looks like a retro futuristic style of car. Oh, look at that. Oh, okay. Blue one. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's great. Describe, describe what you're seeing. Well, even like that, I'm just saying, yeah, even that like like light blue one that you were showing me on Google Images looks a lot like the one that they had in the show. So that's a real credit to the designers. Oh. That's great. Yeah, so, yeah you're right. It is a bit retro-futuristic. Like, yeah. It's, it's a bit, it looks almost like a shark. You can almost imagine the Jetsons getting into this car. Tell me more about the show. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, um, uh, <laughs> it is based on the Greek story of, you know, it's the <laughs> one where <laughs> it's like Helios is the sun god. Yeah. And he is in charge of like riding that chariot that is like the sun. Can't get enough of it. He can't. No. No. Right. It's yeah. like that's the thing he does. He's yes. like drives around in a circle. Yes. And uh, yeah, is the sun. And then he has a bunch of daughters and one son. And the son's name is Phaeton. Oh, I don't know. This. Phaeton is the son, and there are several other daughters as well. And someone tells Phaeton, like, I don't think that the sun god is really your dad. And then he's like, what? <laughs> That's bonkers. <laughs> and that makes me feel bad because I'm really proud of being the, the, son, the son, of, of son of the sun. Helios the sun. Oh, See, yeah. Good. And then, yeah, goes to Helios and Helios is like, that's nuts. Of course you're my son. And the mother is also like, of course you're the son. And then the dad is like, how can I prove it to you? And then Phaeton is like, oh, well, I guess I could ride your chariot. And I could, I could do that. And if I'm really your son, I'll be good at riding the chariot. And then has a turn at the chariot, fucks it up, goes too far away from the earth. The earth gets really cold. And then like does a big like U-turn and then comes back too fast towards the earth. And then, yeah, everything gets really hot because the sun's getting too close to the earth. And then Zeus throws a lightning bolt at him to kill him before he, like, I don't know, before the the sun hits the earth and ruins everything yep. and then Phaeton dies and falls into a river and then as is often the case then gets turned into a constellation through like Zeus magic Phaeton yeah well that's a great story that's that so and that's I'm assuming the car yes. in this scenario translates into the chariot well you can tell me what you think after I explain the plot of this which is an adaptation of that story okay well um, I'm waiting so <laughs> Instantly impatient. Instantly bored. And furious that you don't value my time. Oh. <laughs> so I'll say too, the playwright notes, um, so Peter Heavenheld being the writer, says in the notes in the program that the play is attempting to deal with the Ukraine war, lockdowns, and 21st century angst. My. A lot of grim stuff it's to a, take on. Yeah, yeah. And a bunch of stuff. Doesn't have like a happy show. <laughs> it, it, was, it was two acts, though. So Oh, Interval! Gave himself some time. That's oh, good. Yeah, we Interval. interval. We oh, interval. Kevin. Yeah. I went with my pal Wheeler, with whom I, like, I know him. made Pinocchio, of course. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> curtain swings open. And so we're in, like a, like, a, like, a Greek household. In, like, where it's specifically somewhere... It's, is it? It's in Oakley. <laughs> Some is places are. It could take place in a liminal spot, in like a, uh, a long grey corridor in no man's land. Yeah, okay, alright. <laughs> it's in Oakley South. Oh yeah, that's a real place. Yes. <laughs> yes. Some people might not know. And yeah, no, so we're in the midst of, oh my god, in like the midst of lockdowns. Oh, sure, okay. Yeah, and... Flashbacks. Fla that's the thing. It was like, when the, in the first moments of like hearing Dan Andrews' voice and hearing Ooh. about people talking about lockdown shit, Ugh. it was like, oh my God, like people were audibly making noises. You could hear mm. people being like, oh! Wow. <laughs> like, yeah. That's great. No, that's great that it elicited such a reaction. I suppose so, yes. It's, yeah, I don't know. And that too, though, like if anyone's thinking about entering into the world of writing COVID drama, it's like... We need more! I guess be excited that there's people ready to shudder at the, I don't know, you know, like these relics of that time period. Yeah, it's, it's exciting 
exciting that we've come far enough now that we can reflect. Also, have we? Some people uh, haven't. <laughs> What's yeah. wrong? No, I, yeah, it's, just, it's a lot about, to unearth. Yeah, I just think about how much I missed it. Sure. I miss it now. <laughs> you miss... Oh, just getting to be at home all the time. Not having to explain yourself. Not just having to get dressed. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Oh. Those lazy naked days. <laughs> Take me back. That's all they were. <laughs> um, go on. So there's this family. So it's like a, like a dad and a mother. And they, I guess they're also a man and a woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they, they are uh, also just people. They were going to go on a cruise. The cruise was cancelled because of lockdown and COVID, which in the play is called Delta Disease. Okay. I assume after Delta Goodrum or after the variant. Interesting. But why do you think they changed the name? Is COVID like, could they just not, because it's so obviously meant to be COVID. Um, maybe. Like it's not like COVID's copywritten. Maybe. I don't know. When, when toying with an adaptation, maybe, maybe the writer wanted it to feel a little bit more portable. You know, like maybe because sure. then you could like co- more comfortably recontextualize it or something. Like, so yeah, okay, okay, interesting, interesting. Did that? Uh, sorry, you actually talk first before <laughs> I start picking everything apart. Their cruise was cancelled, and so they're home and sort of annoyed about it, but living their lives. <laughs> right. Yeah, and then their daughter turns up. Her name is Cleo, and. Oh. <laughs> Oh yeah, so Ruth Catal- Ruth Catarellos <laughs> nailed it there, yep, no um, playing the mother and the wife, and Paul Robertson is Phil, who's playing the dad and the husband, yep. <laughs> which are the same characters. Same that's, characters. That's just how I describe people. You could just say their names. All that matters is where you sit in the family tree. No more. <laughs> no <Nothing> less. Less. <laughs> and, and if yeah. you're a man. <laughs> um, so Shiley Azwan is playing Cleo. Okay. And comes home after breaking up with her long-term boyfriend. Um, yeah, and then is revealed also to be pregnant. <gasps> yeah. Scandal. What Shiley manages to accomplish, and it's a thing that can be a credit to like the three of them constructing this family, it was so thickly recognisable oh. that like, it was like a lot of what I took from the work was like my feelings about these types of families, I suppose. Um, but yeah, but the, the, the character of Cleo, played by Shiley, was so wildly unlikable that I just like, it made me so... <laughs> what sort of unlikable are we talking? This sort of like just very she, she's and she's gone through a lot. She's like realized she's pregnant with a person that she's no longer romantically entangled with. There's a lot of upset going on with her. Um, but she's very like grumpy. She's very impatient. She's very judgmental, and she like needs to be like I don't know, sort of like demanding to be taken care of. Sure. So unlikable character, <laughs> but something too as well. Like in in witnessing the way that she talks to her father and talks to her mother and the way that they all talk to each other. Um, like maybe is like there could be a level of which. Is like cultural or something like mm. it was it's, it's sure know, yeah. in the way that like i don't know greek families like relate to each other like i've never of course been in a greek family before mm. but the people that i've heard speak about them and the way that i've seen it depicted in media like it is a lot more like and it's a thing that i've always envied about like particular styles of like european familyhood is they're much more like expressive and honest and open with each other in yes, the way that they God, deal with yes. their emotions um but any hoozles, yes. So Cleo of titular fame. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, her return is sort of like the window through which we experience this family largely. Like her coming back, yeah, we, it's kind of where we kick things off. And it's like, okay, we can sort of, we get enough of an idea of what this married couple is like without their daughter being in the picture. Mm. And then we see the difference that happens when she returns. And then we just, yeah, we see the three of them in this weird social climate Engaging with each other. Totally. Um, and that, as we all sort of experience with, like, our experience of the, the real-life Delta disease, <laughs> which I uh, think is capitalism. No, it's COVID. <laughs> <laughs> 
COVID. Yeah, yeah, COVID. Um, the, the way that that, especially when we're all like locked into our little, you know, domestic bubbles, it becomes a little bit of a microwave. The, the father decides to build <laughs> a stratos. Which is a car. That I don't mean to say with a Greek accent. It just happens. It just way. happens. Stratos. Maybe stick with that. Yes. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Uh, and yeah, he orders one on the internet and it arrives in a box and then he puts it together. Can you do that with a car? I think maybe. Like, maybe if what you're doing... I don't know. I don't know if... like Was it just for the purposes of the play? No, like, people build cars, right? I mean, someone (laughs) has to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if just, like, robots in factories can do it. Like, maybe... Like, just... To me, it seems like you need to go to the motor shop. <laughs> sure, but could you buy that motor online and then buy like the paint on another place and then a carburetor in a different place and then also buy a steering wheel and I'm almost running out of parts of cars uh, <laughs> that uh, I know. Petrol tank? Petrol tank and... Mirrors? The, the, the pipe at the back? Uh, exhaust. The, exhaust! The honker. The horn. Yes. yes. <laughs> and Locks. the things that get the windows to go down. Uh... Hands. <laughs> um, the flap at the front. The flap at the front. The for all the, the secrets. Flap. Uh, oh, the, I like when a car has those like um, the little light light headlights that sort of like open up like eyeballs. Oh, like, the eyelids. Up. You know the ones I mean? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, the, yep. The light lights. The thing that makes the blinker sound. Uh, the blink. You could just say the blinker. I imagine yeah. Indi- indicator. Indicate. Good. Can you tell neither of us drive? <laughs> <laughs> And there are wheels. <laughs> yes. So, oh shit! Yeah, the wheels. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Stratos's, despite being retrofuturistic, do not hover. <laughs> God, I wish. Oh, I wish too. Did um, you see that? No. What? Go on. I was just gonna say they've um, started like a uh, heli, like like drone taxi service in New York. Like you can get in a big drone that flies you around. It flies around like an Uber. Yeah. And uh, is it enclosed or are you like sitting it's on a enclosed. magic carpet? It's enclosed. It's oh. like a big enclosed. You know, in every science fiction movie, like Avatar, um, the the new way of representing like future flying craft is like those four propelled big helicarrier things. Like they've got like four giant propellers. My brain is only letting me imagine those bowls from Jurassic World. <laughs> <laughs> what you're referring to (laughs) (laughs) the balls that the t-rex loves to chomp (laughs) Uh, yeah it's like in robots it's like in robots where they get into those big balls and like get flung around by giant hammers um stratoses have wheels and so he decides (laughs) to build a stratos good for him um yes seemingly as like a way of maybe coping with the lockdown and with his his, like cruisers cancellation and so yeah he decides to build this car and then his daughter's around so she sort of starts getting involved and it's kind of a bit of a metaphor for their relationship being one going of like supreme dysfunction to a mildly functional one because they're able to complete this car together but it's still an old model it's still an old model. Old, outdated model. I suppose... Are you saying that their relationship is an old, outdated I was just trying to sound smart. I didn't mean anything. I also need to bring up, like, a whole other element that exists in this show. So oh. every part of this show that you, James, and you, sweet listener, just spent your time picturing, now clomp this on top of it. Okay, I'm closing my eyes. You ready? Okay, so to every sort of, like, scene and dramatic moment, to every piece of narrative that gets driven forwards, there is also these two, like, like stunningly beautiful people dressed in white... <laughs> One of them is named Eliza Stone and one is named Jonah Fleming. They are playing heralds and it is their job to stand there throughout the show and make things change, make things happen and judge things with their wonderful faces. What? Wait, <laughs> wait! <laughs> so the heralds function in this piece as kind of like, so these two kind of like ever-present 
uh, uh, angels. Sort of angels, yeah, but they're just like dressed in white and they just sort of like lounge around. When you say dressed in white, you need to be specific. Are they wearing like white pants and a shirt? <laughs> Are they wearing like a white robe? Are Not they... robes. Not robes. It's more like funky, like almost like imagine like a man and a woman, then put them in sort of like funky going out clothes and then give them a sensibility that's a little bit more old timey and then just paint it all white. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like <laughs> Eliza's wearing like, like, Imagine like a little like wraparound pashmina, mm-hmm. yeah, and then make it out of like a transparent like meshy fabric, uh-huh. and then line the base of it with like white fur. Oh, and then extrapolate from there. Yeah, yeah that's enough for me. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, very chic. Very the show fun. has taken a turn and made the whole show like a new yeah. level of like, watchable and engaging. So, do you think they justified the reason by having the heralds there? It was even just like getting to watch them perform completely justified them. Sure, like ten right. minutes in, I was like, I enjoy watching these two. Right? Yeah, that's a yeah. great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely something, um, and because it, it also provided too, like it was also like just another dramatic element to digest, mm. which was stimulating. Yeah, and uh, yeah, helpfully too, they were both very engaging performers. And I think too, like I think especially Jonah as well really excelled in kind of like developing a, a real sense of his character and his desire to be kind of like playful and like a little menacing mm. and also a little bit like easily bored by the undertakings as well. Yeah, <laughs> I think one of my favorite moments uh, was when Cleo comes home and she's talking about the fact that she, <laughs> she was talking about the fact that she's pregnant, of course. Of course. And, and um, sort of the, the, the sort of the question of whether or not she wants to be pregnant kind of comes up. <laughs> And this thing happened that I don't think anyone else saw. And I asked Wheeler later, and he had no idea that this happened. <laughs> but <laughs> they're talking about whether or not she wants to be pregnant. And then the way that these heralds make things happen, most of the time is by clicking to very well-synchronized clicking sound effects. Magnificent. <laughs> oh, can I, can I guess what I think? Go ahead. When she said initially that she didn't want the baby, one of them went to snap as if she was about <laughs> to, like, abort the child. But then the other one stopped them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking funny. So funny. And <laughs> my God. The way that Jonah just like outputs his little like herald hand and it's about to like click. <laughs> just give this woman an abortion. Just give this woman like an abortion slash oh miscarriage. The way that he's so like darkly comic and like the little menacing look on his face. Like, and the way that Eliza is just like, don't do that. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> it was Love just, it. And I was like, oh! And like no I one else made it. a noise, and I was like, "Yeah, I had to, uh, yeah," and I had to unpack it with Wheel of Lead. It was like that was incredible work. That's really funny. <laughs> it's even just nice the idea of like, in like your simplest moments of life, you might be getting observed by two angels of the divine, or like whatever the fuck they're meant to be. Just like there may be this other force observing you, and like by that to- by the very fact that it is observing is making like your story more of an actual story. You, you know like that I mean? idea, or you think I it's just- like that. I like that a lot. I think that's nice that even in our most mundane moments, you could be judged. I guess judged. No, not the word I wanted to use. I meant more just like someone paying observed, attention to you. Seen. Yeah. You just like to feel special. <laughs> I like to be noticed. I guess, I guess that's not a surprising thing to hear you say, but I just think it's such a. It's not what I mean, though. I mean, like, sure. it's, it's, it's just nice that humanity's simplest and most mundane moments can be made special just by the act of watching them. Is that tied to like, a, like a typical human's hunger for validation? Is, is no, it... I think just like the cute thing of like, if you were to watch just like a stranger bumbling around in their kitchen, mm-hmm. there would be nice moments in there that no one else would ever see. Sure. And almost. What do you ba- think is nice about that? Like literally, just a human being existing in the kitchen, bumbling around and doing stuff. There are in that action moments that are like I don't know. You might see them like. 
whistle a little tune that's kind of cute, or you might see them sort of like drop something and pick it up. But like little moments that are never observed. But you know what, Jake? Yeah, I... So are you saying that like humans are kind of naturally captivating and beautiful? And yes. it's nice to think that yes. when it happens, when no one's around, that someone is perceiving it. If a person bumbles in the I woods <laughs> and no one's there. I think just the, 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 the implication of these two heralds watching at any given point make everything feel a bit more theatrical. Because the opposite of that is like a, a tragedy in the sense of like, oh, if there's no one observing any of this, then That's nothing matters. That's not a tragedy. No. 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 I've given up, Jake. Sorry you, to engage you, with you, your no, thoughts. No, you've engaged with me too much. You picked it apart and I wasn't ready for um, it. And to dwell on the heralds for a little bit longer too, it was like, it was interesting, like, for them to be kind of like, of course, in a dramatic framework where it's like, of course, the plot is predetermined, um, but the presence of them in the play could be entirely ripped out of the play. And because of even just the role of a herald in this world, it's like, as you're describing, it's like that person will bumble in the kitchen regardless of whether or not someone's yes. watching and interceding. So it's like, you could rip the heralds out and the plot would be identical, mm. you know? There's, as with you, could like take any play you want and you could just plonk two heralds in there that are watching the whole thing going, mm-mm. <laughs> Maybe that's what we need to start doing. Just taking plays and then adding heralds. heralds. <laughs> you know what? This is coming off a bit dry. Why don't we get like <laughs> two beautiful people? Smarmy, smarmy boys. <laughs> get them in there. Um, it was interesting. But yeah, the, the, the fact of like, yeah, certainly, yeah, as I said, within the first five minutes of them being a presence on the stage, I was like, mm. no, I, I, I vastly prefer this play with these two than without them. Oh, that's great. What a you fun know? addition. And that too, even like thinking about that, being like, yeah, a choice can entirely justify itself theatrically if the choice is an engaging one. Yes. You know, it doesn't have to be like the most streamlined version with no bells and whistles. You know, like bells and whistles are fun. Why are you staring at me so blankly? It's such a Jake thing to say. I love it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> bells and whistles are fun. Yeah, Jake, okay. Um, <laughs> the question everybody wants to know. Go ahead. Uh, stri- is it, is it fa- what did you say? It was Fartos? What's his name? Fatos. I've never said that word in my goddamn life. <laughs> Fatos? D- so, Fetus? Fetus? Dies. Does, does darling Cleo pass away like the famous Greek myth? Well, James, I think you know that I'm not going to spoil it. Spoilers, which rhymes with toilet? <laughs> <laughs> Another thing Jake loves to say. Um, okay, right. So, so, right. Is that Thanks. the answer you wanted? No! To say, but of course something has to happen. Hang on, how about this? You tell me now and yes. I will react to it. <laughs> tell me, like, secretly and I'll react to it. So pause tell now. Me, no, pause tell, here. No, pause here. No, no. Tell me what your reaction would be if I'm like, no, Cleo lives and she becomes the queen. Pause here and people can... I'll be very good with my reaction. I won't give anything away. I'm sorry. I just want to hear. Pause so what is your, no, what is your suggestion for this podcast that I'm going to not let the audience hear your yeah. response and then you're going to remark upon your own response? No, I'll respond. I'll, I'm like, just do, just do it. Okay. So I'm going to pause and yep. tell you what happens to Cleo yep. if anything. Yeah. Okay. Be right back, everyone. Oh. Oh my. Well, that's neither good nor bad. Okay. <laughs> and that is a great use of an audio medium. Ra-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. <laughs> um, okay. Great. So that happens. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's Cleo Stratos. Um, yeah. Yeah. And again... Super into the venue, super into the people there, and they do so much work as well in trying to like foster voices and developing scripts and that type of yeah. thing. And I think that's such a valuable thing to have in especially the independent sector of Melbourne's theatre community. Crack so, does Jake's crack. Hi, Jake. Hello, James. Hello. Um, I, I too went to the theatre. Ah. I went to the Butterfly Club. Oh, yes. Which was disappointingly not a club full of butterflies. And also, you've never brought up the fact that it has both butt and fly in it. Why would I? I'm an adult. 
<laughs> sure. Yeah. Continue. Um, but <laughs> that's pretty good. And also the fly. What about the fly is exciting? To it's you? where the penis lives. Oh, you're thinking. <laughs> I thought you meant like like a fly. What's that? <laughs> Please continue describing your adventure. Okay. So we um I went along with my partner Flynn, who we've already spoken about on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw the waiting room. Yes. By Silver String Productions. By Silver String Productions. Silver String Productions. Great. Um, yeah. Um, I've seen another show by Silver String Productions. What was it? At Butterfly Club. Uh-huh. Um, Silly Little Things. Who also starred Laura Nags, which, which who is also in this one. We'll get on to that. Soon. And I remember Laura Nags being great. Laura Nags is great. Based yeah. on your retelling. Yeah, no. Laura <laughs> Nags is great. Laura Nags <laughs> is great. And I will get into that. Sure. Um, I don't want to spoil anything too soon. Come yeah. on. Come on. Uh, so, <laughs> so, it's the end of the world. Right now? I mean, arguably. Okay. So the reason I say it's the end of the world is because in the waiting room, we are in the waiting room before you get sent up or down. So, like, as far as we're aware... Okay, okay, you keep going. (laughs) No, no, no. We're in the waiting room and you're waiting to see if you get sent up or down. Are you consciously giving us no context for where those places are? Heaven or hell. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay, it's, it's heaven or hell. Okay. I just assumed you would keep up. End of the world... The rapture of some sort has happened. Um, in the blurb it said, the men are all gone because, you know, the patriarchy. So okay. they're all gone, and now it's the women left. And they're facing their final sort so of... So all the men went either up or down. The men are already gone, yes. Gone, gone via yes, that system? Gone, exactly. Because the rapture is everyone the god likes okay, goes I, up Maybe and... I shouldn't have said rapture. I'm not sure if it's if everyone has been raptured. Because let me put, let me quickly get this out of the way. It's a series of five monologues. It's okay. part of the monologue festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's five monologues in you know comparison to like a cohesive story through one show. You know. Yep. The the premise of this is they're sort of being forced to summarize their greatest sins before they get decided whether before it's decided they're going to heaven or hell. Okay. So they're forced to sort of recount their own what they believe to be their own greatest sins. Okay. Wherein lies. Wherein is the rub of it? <laughs> yeah. Which is a phrase I just remembered I know and wanted to use and I'm not sure if I use properly. Hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> Therein lies the rub. Is that right? If you're a chef telling someone where the rub is. <laughs> What's the rub to a chef? It's like when you take like a fish or like a piece of meat and then you take... Bored, don't you? <laughs> um, so... Um, so... So, yeah, five monologues. Mm. Let's begin. Okay. Out of the way quickly, Flynn and I did arrive slightly late. Oh, good. We technically arrived bang on time, but our tram had been delayed due to, like, drunken, rowdy people. Uh-huh. So, w- w- wander on in. Mm. <laughs> Move, I'm wander. Move Please I'm continue, wander. James. Yeah, so Flynn and I were late, unfortunately, yeah. due to that tram mishap. Uh-huh. Uh, so I did unfortunately miss, like, a fair chunk of Elise Batson's. <laughs> Okay. Uh, monologue? Uh-huh. Well, it was the first one. Nice. Uh, but from what I could piece together, yes. she was on more of a generalised rant about her life being under underwhelming. Okay. Um, which which I relate to. And blaming herself for that underwhelm? She, from what I... From the way she performed and the, from what I could tell, she was just depressed and sad and upset and self-blaming and self-hating. Mm-hmm. Like that was, I think I, I, I couldn't quite piece together what her sin was. Um, but And also, I don't think I will tell you what the sins were because this show will happen again. Okay. And I think for a lot of these monologues, that is the, the real kicker. So okay. I don't want don't to give that away. But if you want, we can pause the recording. No, it's I can fine. tell you the sin. <laughs> and then you can react in a completely neutral way. I think we can keep that as a thing that you do. <laughs> I like that a lot, actually. Um, second in the monologues uh, was uh, Delarama Marty playing Roxy. Ah. Now... Oh, the second monologue introduced 
uh, a new character as well that was then in on stage for the next four monologues. Okay. So it stopped being monologues and became another person on stage observing the monologue. Okay. And that person was God. Oh, God! Yeah. <laughs> the very one. Huh. Um, so, uh-huh. Rory Harmon. Rory Harmon. So does that turn the monologues into soliloquies? I, I, or asides? I don't know. Uh, this, I wanted to ask you about this. So it changed each time. The first one, um, the first one with at least no God. Second one, <laughs> at least godless. Godless, hear them. Mm. Second one, um, Delarum comes out and and Rory's there as God, mm. and he's wearing like so just he doesn't change for the whole thing. He's wearing all black. Mm. He's got like one of those. I don't know how to describe them. It's like a face mask that is like a bandana that covers the bottom half of your face. Oh, is it like the one with like skeleton mouth? Like, like often they have like a skeleton <laughs> mouth, and you think, oh God. Um, that sort of thing. But yeah, he's wearing all black, so he very much blends in, because everyone else is wearing all black. It's a very traditional, I'm wearing all black and doing a monologue sort of situation, which, gotta love it. Sure. Haven't seen a show like that in a while. Okay. But then he comes out, and for the first one, um, with Delarum, we have God comes on and sits down next to her and just sort of stares at her with a phone. And, and is shining the phone. It's, it's quite night. All the lights go down. And he's got the phone pointed at her hmm. uh, with, the, with the screen being used as a torch. The white light screen. And that's all that lights her. Okay. Which is beautiful. Uh-huh. Um, and she then goes on to talk about um, the sort of unshameful life she's been living as a bit of a slag. Um, <laughs> her words, your words. My words. <laughs> <laughs> My words. Um... That was, so God was there. Yes. Was the the takeaway for that. Mm-hmm. Up next, Amelia Dunn. Mm-hmm. Um, and God is sort of watching. Each time God comes on, he watches in a different way. Uh, this time he's watching from the side, and Amelia Dunn does this really charming monologue, trying to recount what her greatest sin was. Mm-hmm. And she keeps coming up with all these things. Was it the time that I tripped my brother over? Was it the time that I did this? Was it the time... And then she starts self-analyzing and falling into this paranoid spiral that then goes on for like 10 minutes, where she can't quite figure out what her own sin was. And then she realizes that maybe the greatest... Oh, no, I can't. I don't want to spoil what the greatest sin was. But... Don't spoil it like a toilet. <laughs> Another classic Jake saying. We can't stop him from saying that. We can't. Um, I really enjoyed watching Amelia. She had this... Sorry, so is the goal of this, in order to potentially get raptured and to leave the waiting room... You have is, to confess your greatest sin. So, and you have to find that yourself. That seems to be what's happening. Okay. God doesn't say anything. They just start talking and then they go, My greatest sin! And they then say it. Yeah, okay. Um, so... Yeah, I really enjoyed Amelia's performance. I thought that she was really just trustworthy on stage. The way she sort of like spirals on this panic and verbal diarrhea that we all know and love. Um, I just found very endearing and also quite relatable. Yeah? You can be, oh yeah. You know, like that sort of like self-analysis that we sort of do where you then just fall into a spiral of, if you don't have, if you don't compare it with someone else in terms of like, if you don't talk to someone else and, and get an outside of you on your life, you will just fall into this pit of, I'm not good enough, I didn't do this, I could have done that. All of these things. And I just thought Amelia really nailed it. I can't relate to that sort of thing. Nobody believes you. I'm very happy. (laughs) Continue! Uh, (laughs) Uh, Fiona Crombie. Fiona Fiona Crombie. Up she comes. Um, She has a sit-down conversation with God. So they pour each other a glass of wine. Is it a monologue? 
Well, it's, yeah, I say conversation. It's the monologue directed entirely at God. Also, it's like having a wine with you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Yeah, but Fiona I, has... It's a slow burn, this uh, one. Uh-huh. And Fiona has this really enchanting delivery of her lines. It's, she's got this real sort of... She starts telling this story about um, her relationship with her sister uh, and sort of like how they sort of fell out and fell apart. And she sort of has this cheeky... Oh, I don't know what the word would be. Puckish sort of energy. Ugh. Sorry, I just hate the sound of the word that I you know, chose. I know, And I, of course, hate Puck from Midsummer Night's Dream. Well, you might hate Fiona. I can't. What, what I'm saying is... What I'm hearing hate... is you hate Fiona. <laughs> and by extension, me. <laughs> no, like, very, like, you know, sort of, like, almost fae sort of quality about her that I Sounds homophobic. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking more D&D. Um, really beautiful quality um, that meant that every line she d- had to deliver, I was hooked on mm. and wanted to hear everything she had to say. Um, so... Yeah, well done, Fiona. I can't reveal what your big twist was at the end of that gorgeous monologue, but I liked it. It was it was sad, but it was good. <laughs> you know, you have a really nuanced understanding of theatre. It was sad, <laughs> but it was good. You know. Uh, and then we move on to Lauren Ags. Don't we always? Don't we always move on to Lauren Ags? Lauren Ags. Mm. Um, again, seen her before in silly little things, and she brought a very fantastic. It was a, it was a good end monologue and she does this hers it's almost like verbal slapstick the way that she talks it's like the she has so much energy at all times frenetic terrifying amount of energy Mm -hmm. and just comes on and hits you like a sledgehammer in like the best way Mm -hmm. and just verbal diarrhea in a way that is not sad and you really don't like it when I say diarrhea. No, no. And yet you said that spoilet rhymes with toilet. <laughs> uh, but Laura, fantastic. Um, yeah, crazy. Tells this sort of like very like slapsticky story about like this mansion in Turak and like the, her relationship with her husband. Well, so it's verbal slapstick and also the story has slapstick in it? No, it's just the way she delivers it makes it sound like it should be a slapstick. Ah. Just because it's like bada bing, bada boom, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and once again, God was there watching. So, <laughs> which is a great thing to say during any story you're telling. And God's once again, watching. God was watching. Um, it was kind of it was, it was nice though the way that he would just sort of he united the all but one of the all but ones. one of the mom. Mm. That's the thing that I wanted to uh, to mention. What do you what do you do? You th- I could not figure out a reason God wasn't in the first one, mm. and I, I maybe I miss like. As I missed a bit of the monologue, maybe I missed the bit where they said, God's not here yet. I don't know. Maybe there was some sort of explanation. Maybe there was an opening moment where the first monologuist was like, get out of here, God. Totally. Totally. Actually, it's not a bad point. Write me if that was the case, because I'm curious why God wasn't in the I'm first I'm okay making the labor somebody else's. <laughs> yeah, monologues. Here's another thing. Did you know it was the monologue festival? Uh, no, not until I was told, which I guess is a valid way to receive information. Pretty sure I told you. I don't think I have ever learned a thing from you. Yes, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe we should do more about the monologue festival next time it's on. If you do monologues... Do more about the monologue festival. Let like, us try know to stop happening. it. Try to stop it, they must be stopped. We should do something about that monologue <laughs> festival. <laughs> 
No, 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 Jake. Don't be silly. I mean, we should go and see monologues next time. And they have like a mo- What could it be called? The monologue of a loser? Monologue of a loser is not bad. Um, sure. Sorry, I'm stuck. I can't even entertain your question. Because I'm stuck with the question of what did the frog say to the fish? And he said, monologue. <laughs> Hey James. Hi. Shut up! I have something to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll find that is not relevant to what I'm about to tell you. I guess I know. You could connect dots if you wanted to. I didn't feel put in my place. Oh, that's good. Well, the show is about villains. Ah! Give us your best evil villain laugh right now. Best evil villain laugh. Yeah. Oh, oh, is it me, Jake, doing something villainous and then laughing, or is it me like impersonating Mr. Burns? Uh, whatever you want, Jake. Oh, oh, I'm trying to imagine a world. Okay, I'm evil. I've just done an evil thing, and then I think I kick the body into a river, and I go, (laughs) "You've done it again." Which I would say to myself after good, every evil good, act. Yeah, I like it actually. What's your evil laugh? I would do something evil, mm-hmm. and then I'd go. <laughs> oh, just a little chuckle to yeah, yourself. Yeah, no, no. Wrong Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> we should bring that back. You've been more rude interruptions, shutting people up. No, it's too hurtful. No, <laughs> I'm still. Really... Oh, are you ready for this? Oh, cool story, bro. I was about to say. Really? I was truly about to say. One of the, like, a thing I'm still recovering from is that trend where everyone started saying cool story, Hansel, oh, after janky. everyone. Zoolander really damaged more yeah, people than would, they think it did. You wouldn't be able to handle that. I think by they, I'm referring to the people who made Zoolander. <laughs> Which Mr. we have not spoken enough about Mr. as a society. Mr. D- I imagine Ben Stiller and friends. I don't know. Uh, Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> Villainy. It's a musical, uh, and, and it's written by like the music arrangements and orchestrations by Craig Bryant. Oh, yeah. and okay. So the premise of the show. So I went to the <laughs> back up, Jake. You dumb bitch. Oh, I went to the, I went to the MC showroom with tall Canadian man with the hole in the roof. So I got there. We checked in with like an like, astoundingly handsome box office man who I assume lives there. <laughs> I don't know how box offices work. You really don't. <laughs> but then yeah, took a program and then yeah, and then after the show came home and I was like, oh, where the fudge did this musical come from? And it has like a cute little backstory. Go on. Yeah, no, which I'll just race through. But it's like in 2011, Craig, like the maker of the show, was having a conversation with a pal of his and was talking about they were discussing this 1927 um, essay that J.M. Barry wrote mm. that's the person who wrote Peter Mary Pan Poppin? Peter Pan Peter Pan he was one of them because isn't wasn't Mary Poppins written by that grumpy Emma Thompson woman I don't care you don't care <laughs> <laughs> that's the same person <laughs> <laughs> it's fun isn't it it's fun, like it could it. really spur yeah. on like an evil evolution <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh that felt good <laughs> <laughs> What's his power I'm feeling? <laughs> in 1927, mm-hmm. J.M. Barry, who wrote Peter Pan, yes. um, wrote an essay about Captain Hook. Like the, you know, like the, the hooked pirate from Peter yeah, Pan. I'm familiar. I'm just trying to remember if I... Yeah, go on. Yeah, about the, the nature of his character. Treating him as if he's a real historical figure. About his villainy. About, sure, about Captain Hook's villainy. And then the friend that Craig was speaking to was like, Oh, how funny would it be if Captain Hook himself could write a retort to this essay? 
Oh. You know? And so that's sort of like what is what kind of birthed the, like the premise of this show that has been in that way formulating since 2011. Oh, that's a great premise. Right? And so yeah. it's sort of like been through iterations. So that's just kind of like, you know, the backstory of all that stuff. Um, oh, um, full disclosure, Olivia Shara Lambus, a friend of ours, oh. is in it. Oh my God. Part of what I was excited about was getting to see, because I've, I've never seen... I've, I've, I've never known, seen her before. No, I've known her for so long and I've never seen her on a stage before. Oh my God, I'm so excited. So shit's fucked. Very right. exciting. So it went in and then, yeah, so the... The premise of it, which is sort of like revealed in the first little while of the show, is like it's all these characters, these for the most part familiar characters, um, trapped in the public domain. So, oh, great! You know, it's like yeah. the moment that a, like a work becomes old enough for the characters to be like like no longer encompassed by copyright. Your Frankenstein's, your Dracula's, your yeah, and it becomes like anyone's game to play with these characters. Mm. These characters, as we see them, are in a space designated as. The public domain. Oh, cool. Okay. Which, architecturally speaking, which is where I got hung up in my head, is is only really described as being like they're in this room together. There's a small number of them, and then if you go outside of the door that there is upstage, there's a bunch of hallways, <laughs> and the, beyond that, the world itself isn't really constructed in any like discernible way through speech. So I don't know what else. I don't know what's out there. Okay, you know, <laughs> but I'm more not... on that later. Okay, good. <laughs> Um, in terms of the group that we have, so it's like Olivia is playing Drusilla, which is like Cinderella's step sister, oh. one of the evil stepsisters. Okay, cool, great. Um, and then Chelsea Gibb is playing like the evil queen from Snow White. Great. Um, and uh, like Todd Strike is playing Vlad, who's like a Dracula esque. Yep. Like right. th- these are these are the characters that we have. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah. So there's like six of them from like classical literature. I'm um, like, you've, you've started, I want to know the rest. Right, oh, sure. Well, I'll talk about more things in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, because I have to bring up one thing. Okay, so I'll bring up one thing now. I was going to bring it up later, but you're getting impatient. And so, Carl- Shut up! <laughs> Sorry. Anton Berezin is playing Captain Hook. Wait, like, so say that again. Anton Berezin is playing Captain Hook. Oh, classic. Carlos Zaid is playing, like, Jekyll and Hyde. Oh, great. And then, <laughs> and then Meg Holt, who was incredible. Um, a lot of them across the board this cast had such like phenomenal voices oh great like truly like there were no weak links all of them had like what sound like classically trained beautiful like professional standard standard like classical musical theatre singing voices it was really beautiful just to like listen to Um, but yeah so I came out at Interval (laughs) and was standing with tall Canadian man Mm -hmm. and we were talking about our favourite characters um, and we had a lot to talk about in terms of like the characters that we really liked. And then he, he and I were sort of like unified in the sense of like we really, really loved um, <laughs> um, Meg Holt's characterization and the character she was playing and, and what she was doing. Um, but then the question too came up of like, but who is she? <laughs> because because her, the character's name is Therese. You tell me if you know who this is. Okay, Therese, I don't so far. Her name is Therese. She has bad like hobo teeth. <laughs> and she was in the French Revolution, I think. She was some sort of, and again, too, they're all villains. Yeah. So she's a French badly toothed Madame Thénardier from Les Mis. Go on. Therese. <laughs> so as far as I could tell, what it felt like to me was like, okay, there's all these recognisable villains and a woman named Therese. That's kind of funny <laughs> if that's like, what they've done. That's kind of great. I'm certain that it's not. And she was also the one that got like the least like expositional dialogue about what she was. Well, everyone will know Therese. We don't need to explain her. <laughs> but quite 
charmingly, that was a lot of what even, like, the start of Act 2 was. Because me and Canadian Man have had this conversation outside. It's like, we're obsessed with Therese. We love everything she does. It's really great. But we have no idea who she is or what she's done. And then one of the first conversations she has in Act 2, we come back and she's like, Well, everyone knows what I did. (laughs) (laughs) Therese, we don't. That's great. (laughs) Therese, tell us. (laughs) Did did she tell you at all? No. We came out of the show. You still don't know who Therese is. I know less now than I did going in. (laughs) Therese. Um, But, yeah, one of the, the high points musically and even just, like, as the show itself was her song... Her song that was called Never Lose Your Anger. (laughs) Which was this beautiful song that she sang about holding on to grudges. It was great. And the way that she described that anger is what will sustain you and all hope is gone. (laughs) Which I just thought was like a fun thing to like, it was truly such a rousing song. Like I I want to listen to this song again and again. It was really, really great. It does seem like a song that you would really get on board with. Thank you. And it was just, and also almost had like like an Oliver, the musical kind of like sweeping enthusiasm to it. Could she be from Oliver? I don't think so. Because I think there are like, if you would no, I think the villain, was she definitely French? Yes, yes. Therese. Therese. French Therese. No, okay, we got. I've got to stop getting caught up in this. Carry on. <laughs> um, but it was, and it was like the right length. Like it was, it felt like it was slightly too long. The song, and that helps. Oh, yeah, and it helps. It was like when you just when you think it's done, because it almost had the swing of like a saloon song. Um, it was almost like okay. never no, it's like it was. Um, yes, that and another musical high point I thought as well. Um, was Olivia Sharalambas doing oh. this like stunning song where she like gets this makeover, <laughs> right? And yeah, it's just like her being lovely, and it was just a real showcase of her not just vocal and acting talent, but even just like her comedic capacities and the way of her like I don't know she. Knows how to tell a joke. That's the thing that I've long known about her. Yeah. But as well, like she knows how to use her body and her face to just make comedy happen. Oh it my was, god, amazing! It was a real masterclass in just watching a, a woman just own a stage and just be hilarious for like three and a half minutes. It was really wonderfully done. Oh, that's great! Yeah. I, it's so nice to like. I was sure she was a fabulous performer, but it's so nice to hear. Just confirmed. Um. Yeah. Certainly. Oh, I need to bring up. Oh my god, the lighting in this show was stunning. I don't know the sheer volume of hardware they had in no. the space was. St- like even like really? to sit there and look it was like oh my god there are so many lights <laughs> and then like it started and I was like oh my god every moment was just immaculate there was this another oh my god there were so many like wonderful vocal performances and, and just like singing performances throughout mm-hmm. and one of and another like another of the hardest was Chelsea Gibb playing the evil queen singing this song about needing to be as hard as a diamond oh. it was lit as if it was like defying gravity oh and that's not even like hyperbole it's like it's like exactly like it was divine were, gravity. Yes, it was like these like long narrow green beams of light just smacking this woman. Oh my god! And there were like shadows and it. Oh my god! It was fantastic. Whole, it was really a great. sensory feast. Oh my god! And there was this part in this song which is like diamonds are forever. And it was like, oh! and it was like this is incredible. That's art. It's I mean, art. I mean, <laughs> yeah. No, in terms of narrative, it's it, it it certainly like treaded water a lot in terms of like things moving. So it was, sure. a, it was a lot of like characters having a thesis and then sort of singing the thesis or characters being kind of like crystallized in a particular emotional state and then sort of like wallowing in that for a while. Yep. But again, the performances on show were like, oh, we can just sit here and watch these people sing these wonderful songs. Oh God, yeah. And then I'd say in terms of if you're to, to the, the narrative to find in it is kind of one of this girl named Lily coming through this door and she's a girl that explains that she got put in detention because of plagiarism and then she googled public domain characters and then got sucked into the world of the public domain characters right and that's kind of around the time that interval sort of happens so oh my like the first half of it is kind of like us very much just sort of like getting to know them all um and then she comes along 
Um, yeah, and then she sort of like just pops out of the door, and then she's like, "Hi!" Bold, <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, but again, too, a very like invigorating addition to the energy of things because she was played by Alessandra Merlo, and again, incredible voice, like this fun sort of like sarcastic but still like upliftingly like bubblyish woman character that comes in, and it's a new ingredient. It's mm. always like refreshing to have that. Mm. Um, and then yeah, and then she kind of spends the second half of the show after Interval being like, "Oh, I can probably get you out of here if you want to go into the real world and experience that." And then right. it's, yeah, through through a method that I'm a little bit cloudy on in terms of like how it functions in terms of the world of the universe, like universe and how she plans to get them out into. I'm Can you tell us vaguely what that plan is. Vaguely, it has to do with the internet and and the world being a place of fiction, and that maybe like thinning the membrane between the two worlds is my understanding oh, of things. Okay, a little yeah, bit. yeah, you know, I like that. And they like kind that. of like set up social media profiles. Fake news. Maybe th- there might be some fake news commentary in there potentially and my mind is <laughs> wanting to draw the parallel between remember that Simpsons episode where Homer goes into the 3D world behind the bookcase and then yes. comes out into the real world? <laughs> yes, I do. That's just a thing that my brain wanted me to say out loud. <laughs> Those episodes look really old, Dana. They just released a new Simpsons season. They just released a new Simpsons season? Yeah. Are you mad about that? Just stop. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of interested in just seeing how long it can go for. What an interesting artistic enterprise. Yeah. Is it? Go on. Yeah, I think so. Uh, also, I want to point out there's a director's note. And, you know, I find it very interesting when I think a show, I think I broadly speaking think that entering into, like, even creating a show, you need to go in with a question you're trying to solve and a question you don't have the answer to. Mm. And one of the questions that the director believes the show is sort of interrogating and pursuing is the idea of, like, do we as a society need evil characters to act evil to provide us with a moral compass? And there's a song in the piece that sort of explores that idea of like, it's like, you need us to be evil so that you can use us to understand your own sense of morality. I think, definitely, I think we do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting. Sure. Yeah. What a, what a, how exciting to go into a show with such an interesting question in mind. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And I think too, just like, yeah, um, because I believe that was like the closing number of Act One before the interval. And it was like a very like passionate um sort of like almost like a yeah like a lay mizzy kind of mm. moment of like these really like strong kind of like fleshed out familiar characters standing in this like rent-esque line in front of us <laughs> being like we're evil cause we have to be like, but what was wonderful is then behind them <laughs> you have um you've got alessandra behind them sort of like just looking at them like sort of skeptically as like a teenage girl <laughs> and the way that it like undercut the majesty i thought was kind of beautiful <laughs> The uh, idea of them having to really lay Miz with all of their earnestness and her just being like, oh. <laughs> That's great. It's sort of like the Heralds. Sort of like the Heralds. Nice through line. Thank yes. you so much. And kind of like God in the waiting room. Oh. This is, I guess, an episode of people standing behind other characters being a bit like, hmm. Oh. What's this about? <laughs> yeah. Kind of like what I do to you. Kind of, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm in a shame spiral and you're God wearing all black behind me. Just yeah. going, oh. I love, you know, I love a musical. Yeah. Um, you know, I love villains. Yeah. Uh, I do think um, adult, Disney adults should all be put down. Okay. Um, but I love a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds fun. I would love to see this. And I would love to see Olivia Sharon Lambus. Sure. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm keen to see whatever like the, its next life is. Like I wonder, like even again in the, in the notes of the history of the show, it's like, yeah, had a number of iterations. There's this... As gets mentioned in the program, there's concern about like where the story is, what the story should be, how the story sees the story, like sees the show through. Oh. Um, to see if the goal is for it to be beaten into a shape that feels a little bit more recognizably narrative-y and has more of like that type of like traditional narrative structure. Yeah, I'd be keen to see how that how that takes shape and what it turns into. If you were to add one more villain to the lineup, who would it be? 
Um, add a villain to the lineup. Do you have one immediately ready to go? No, I don't think I do. Do you have to be like public domain or anything? Uh, something that you think would be public domain, yeah. Um, <laughs> I just love Maleficent. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, you do love Maleficent. Yeah, and also just, I also just wanted more women as well in the show. Oh, sure. I was going to say The Invisible Man. <laughs> Are you sure he wasn't in it already? He might well, have that's the thing. It's like you just have like one, like all the spotlights turning on and then just one extra spotlight turns on for them. It's like, that's just it's the Invisible Man. I think that's funny. Uh-huh. Can people hear the Invisible Man? Yeah. They can. Yeah. So we need to have songs and you would have to oh, be yeah, able to. That's the thing. It would need to be like an engaging character, but just invisible. Oh, and it's just someone like offstage singing his lines. Yeah, I guess so. Like when they got the hot singer to be offstage. No, the ugly good singer to be offstage during that opening ceremony when the hot girl went on and pretended to be singing. Did that happen? <laughs> I mean, that's happened a thousand times. That. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and one other non-singing high point of Chelsea's performance and of the show generally. <laughs> so <laughs> she's... Of course, she's playing the evil queen from Snow White. Of course. Okay, and then Lily, like the young character, comes in and says something kind of like shitty and judgmental. And then Chelsea turns as the queen. It's like her response to this woman being kind of like disruptive and irritating. She like bends down, comes back, has an apple in her hands, and she's like, want an apple? <laughs> How good. How good. <laughs> it's just one of my favourite, like, I don't know, prop comedy moments of 2023. That's sure. great. Like, <laughs> no, that's great. I love that. And there's just a look on her face like, I'm going to get away with this. <laughs> I'm going to eat this. I'm going to die. It's a solid plan. Hey. Hey, you. <laughs> hey. I've run out. Eat this. Eat it. Hello, James. That's my Elvis impression. That wasn't bad. The start of it was good. It was good enough for me to know that you were doing an Elvis impression. I said, oh, yeah, oh, and a, oh, and a he. I don't know why I'm so engaged by this. Because we all love Elvis. Do we? Well, I'm about to find out. Well, that's the thing. So, I went to Elvis, a musical revolution. Yeah, that does not roll off the tongue. It does once you've said it once. Sure. I guess I just haven't said it out loud before. Elvis, a musical revolution. Yes. Yeah, I nearly said revelation again. Carry on. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So I went to Elvis, a musical revolution with my pal Amanda. And it was wonderful. Um, <laughs> just as an experience. Yeah. <laughs> it was at the Athenaeum, which is always so beautiful to go yep. to. Yeah, we um, yeah, and it was produced by David Venn Enterprises. Um, we had, which I always love, we had The Understudy, or like The Alternate. Jake! Right? Which, as was the case, and is so often the case, like, such a blessing. So we had David Cooney playing Elvis. Obsessed. And, and let's immediately get into the cast. <laughs> just in this one instance. <laughs> yeah, um, And I just want to say that, like, I'll get into my feelings about Elvis in a second, but I really appreciated, like, David's interpretation of this character and portrayal of this character... The Elvis was so sweet and like goofy and odd. And it was just like, it was the first time that I'd seen an Elvis performance that I was like into in the way of like- I get why people fall in love with you. That exact thing was like, oh my God, if this had been Elvis and I were in this time period, this is the Elvis that I would develop a weird crush on. Oh wow. You know, it was like a Louis Tomlinson of Elvises. (laughs) It was like, you know, just like, oh, what a doofy little guy. guy playing his guitar. Yeah, which I just enjoyed. Like, there was even, like, a scene it's like, oh, to, yeah, to, to keep jumping around, Connor Morrell was in it. Sure. Yeah, like, Connor Morrell, of, like, remember he did that amazing show, he's a wonderful musician and performer and actor person. Sure, I believe um, Yeah, that did that, um, the, a lovely day to be online thing that I just kept talking oh, about Oh, yes, for a yes, while. yes, I do remember that. Yeah, about being on the internet too much. Yeah. It was, like, a musical comedy thing. Mm-hmm. 
Now, yeah, he's in it playing a drummer. There was this beautiful scene where, like, later on in the story... Spoilers for Elvis's life, I guess. But later on when Elvis is, like, being a bit grumpy and assertive and being like, oh, stop fucking around in this recording. I'm Elvis, goddammit. Yeah, when he's <laughs> flying a private jet to get a sandwich from New York. That is that a thing Elvis did? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, well sandwiches are pretty good. So the legend goes. Okay. <laughs> it was a musical revolution after all. <laughs> so they say a musical revelation. <laughs> but so Connor is playing this drummer in the the band that is like recording with him. Oh, of course. You know. Um, and then, but this like ac- like accident happened where like one of the symbols. You know how <laughs> this is gonna be me describing a car again. It's like you know how symbols when they're in a drum kit are sort of suspended on those like angled trees that permit the symbol to hover above. The other louder, meaner drums. Yes. Yes. <laughs> One of them was a little too loose, and the cymbal started plunging downwards. Oh no! You know, and so during Elvis's sort of like tirade that he was yelling at the band during, Connor very professionally went to sort of like fix the cymbal. But then, like sweet doofy David Cooney Elvis, while still being grumpy, still was like, "I'll come over and help you with that cymbal." Oh. <laughs> It's indefatigable. That's so nice. What a nice touch. <laughs> that was nice. It was like, it, oh, and it was all just like improv in the moment, you know? That's live theatre for you, fatty. That's, <laughs> that's a saying. First off, okay, I'm trying to say seven things at once. Yeah. Here's one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that Elvis's life is that interesting. Sure, I mean, okay. Why do you As a story. Yep. You know, it's interesting that, yeah, he was famous and he meant a lot to a lot of people. Yep, that bit's interesting. But to look at his story as we've had to a lot in the last decade or so, like, no, like the last three or five years, yeah. um, the life itself isn't super, like even in like adaptations that I'm sure you, sweet listener, and you, James, have experienced of like the the, the arc and like, you, you, like a life is different to a story. When a life becomes a movie or something, in order for it to feel familiar enough for it to be like digested as a work of cinema or theatre or whatever it is, it tends to need to have, like through the process of adaptation, like a like a climax, an instigating event, a narrative. You know, it needs to have like the shape of a story. Yeah. That's like the one that his life, like the options that his life kind of gives you, I don't think are very gripping ones. Sure, okay. But he's got some good songs. He's got some good songs, but it's like, that's why we have all shook up. Most of them are from black people. That, and that's the thing too. Like, I'm yet to see one. And that's the thing when, like, when Amanda and I came out of seeing this show, mm. one of the first things she said was like, oh yeah, it's great. But it's like, it's, it's odd that no one really seems to ever interrogate that element of his oh, backstory really? when it comes to like drama. Yeah. But, the, but as well, credit to this show though, like I'd say one of like the most beautiful sort of like strongest scenes like this very sweet scene because like we have like child Elvis sort of throughout the show oh. and, and one of the scenes that we see is like child Elvis sitting with like these two black men singing a song together and you kind of get to see the birth of like Elvis's appreciation of this type of music and the relationship he had with these artists when he was very young yeah right so, and that was that was a really beautiful inclusion sure that's um, close <laughs> it's, it's something but that's the thing I think for it to, in order romanticized for it to be, well the way of what and the thing the way that his like story and legacy have been romanticized and for that element of it to be so un explored in a much more explicit way and it wasn't necessarily this show's job to do that but for that to be at this point not ever really a prominent feature of the way that we have so recently become fascinated by exploring this man's life together it's a weird did he enter the public domain recently like I feel like I've seen like 40 different Elvis things in the past three years. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I guess things are cyclical and maybe we're just due for an Elvis renaissance or something. What's or, next? or maybe it's all because of Baz Luhrmann. I'm not sure oh, why. Baz. Um, but I'm excited to see what Jacob Elordi does with it. Sure. Partly because it's finally going to be Priscilla-centric. Sure, yeah, I'm excited for Priscilla. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, and again, too, I wish there were more women singing in this show. <laughs> Classic, but we can all just move on from yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> also, he had a girlfriend in high school who was referred to as Dix. 
I don't think it's meant to be like a homosexual undertone. Um, it's I, I checked. You the, don't think they're I, secret? <laughs> Wait, hold on. You don't think they're perhaps secretly disguising his young gay affairs by making a character called Dicks? Be like, oh, Elvis loves Dicks. Can't believe how much Elvis loves Dicks. This is my <laughs> girlfriend, Dicks. Have you met my other girlfriend, male butt? <laughs> I love male butt and dicks. <laughs> this is the stupidest thing. No further questions. I said, oh, oh, hey. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love dicks. <sighs> um, yes. <laughs> there was a time. Shut up! <laughs> There was quite a touching moment where he and his mother were standing on the big Lazy Susan in the middle of the stage. Oh, why does every show need to have a big fucking Lazy Susan these days? <laughs> what is this? It's something that adds dynamism to things. It was sure. great. But yeah, no, it was nice. He like sung one of his like sweet, tender songs to his mother mm. before she died. She dies. Okay, everyone dies. <laughs> but they're not all Elvis's mother. That's they? true. That's, That's true. true. <laughs> Um, the, the colonel was there. Wait, hold on. No, the, what was so special about that moment spinning around? Oh, it was, it was one of the moments that like touched me a bit. Oh, sure. Yeah. It was like, oh, that's sad. His mother's sick and he's singing this sweet song to her. On a revolve. On a revolve. Oh. I, Elvis and Musical Revolution. <laughs> oh, and Musical Revolution, it had a revolve. Symbolism. And... I'm not warranting that with a revolve. <laughs> It was a random chunk of time for them to choose because the show began with him being like, oh, Jesus, oh, please let this performance go well. Oh, Jesus. Like praying. Yes. They can't oh, there's see, a word for that. They can't see the praying, so it may have just sounded like... I said Jesus. Yeah, he was yeah, praying. Yeah, could have been an orgasm. You don't know. He was, he was doing the Dewey Cox thing of like praying before he goes on stage for some reason. Can you do the voice again? I really like your impression. Oh, Jesus. Please let this performance go well. So, I don't want to fuck up in front of the whole world, Jesus. Um, But yeah, but then we go back and then of course we like, we don't go all the way back to birth, but we go back to when he's like a small... Which... <laughs> I want my money back. <laughs> no, no, because then we would have had to witness the death of his, like, you know, dead like, brother. What? You know how he was a twin? No. Elvis was a twin, I thought famously, and his brother, whose name I believe was Aaron, died. Imagine at birth. twins and your, your name's Aaron when your twin's Elvis. I did spend a lot of, like, the hours after seeing the show thinking about if Aaron had survived and what that story would be like. Um, but yeah, so he's praying. Then we go back to his childhood oh, and we sort of see him experiencing these very sort of like sweet early scenes of him like buying records from a black woman running a record store and him experiencing all those artists as a young boy mm-hmm. and that sort of implicitly informing the art that he then goes to produce. Um, but, and then there's sort of like a, a back and forthy for a while and then we end the show right, like we end it kind of at the start of the Christmas special that he does, which what? I think, not to get too esoteric about it, which I believe is the same show that he does in the Austin Butler one, where he's like, If I can dream, then I can fly, then it is Christmas and I'm a guy. <laughs> that song, <laughs> which I think is just a pretty uh, random, like it's not even a moment that really gets built up in this sto- in this show very much. They just said, yeah, we're done. <laughs> it felt a little bit like, okay, I guess this is the culmination of the passing of time. What? But I don't necessarily see That's how... so bizarre. It was, it was odd. It, was like, it felt like the right length. <laughs> so it was like the first half was like, his life and then the second half was all the tribute show no <laughs> no it was all just like things that happened between this point and this point and his oh. mother dies sort of in the middle of the the musical um so Kirby Burgess plays Anne Margaret 
Who? Anne Margaret. Anne Margaret. She was played by Kristen Wiig in a couple of SNL skits. She's like, okay. you know when she has red hair and she's like very sexual and sort of like clumsy? Oh, God, yes. Yes. So. <laughs> and I <laughs> Thank you for putting it in terms I can understand. <laughs> We're talking Kristen Wiig's will be on the same page. Yeah. yeah no. So there's this part where he's with Priscilla, romantically speaking. <laughs> I don't know why I'm clarifying that. <laughs> but he's in a, like an established relationship with her. I think they're married by this point. And then he, and this is a thing that I don't think happened in the Austin Butler one. He and Anne Margaret do this duet potentially on television called You're the Boss uh-huh. and of course the aftermath of this is Priscilla believing because of media speculation that he cheated on her with Anne Margaret is but that if baby I'm no go on what I was gonna do it baby I'm the bottom you're the top and that's a different song it's a different song this one's called You're the Boss and it's truly if you wanted to make a song that made it look like you were cheating on your wife <laughs> with someone this is truly I like, crushed it this is the musical number you would do it was really like sexy oh. it was like it was the two of them and then like some ensemble members around them doing all of this like a little bit fussy and a little bit sexy and oh. a lot of like wrists and hips Oh, and it was yes. like, and the whole song was like, if you wanna fuck me, then I guess you can. Bow! Don't tell my wife. <laughs> it was really sensual. Oh, it was, like, and without being like overt, or there wasn't even that much physical touching, but it was like, ugh. The energy of that the song. The energy was just so hot. Oh, it was like, Priscilla, I get it. I'd be annoyed too. <laughs> Priscilla, girl, I'm on your side. Yeah, and that was just impressive. Which leads me to talking about the ensemble, which I just thought was incredible. Great. Like, they were so good. Like, oh my God. Like, I'll point people out, but it was like, that was part of, too, like, what I came back to was like, especially like Elvis and Musical Revolution. Like, that to me, with Elvis not being, in my mind, mythologized in any sort of convincing way and his story of his, like, his life story not being especially engrossing to me, Mm. it's like, okay, in what way was he a musical revolution? And a way that sort of is an obvious answer to that is the way that his music affected people. Yeah, right. And I think something that I really loved about the show was the way that they characterized the people experiencing this, like his music. Oh. You know, like so much of, so many of the songs were kind of like experienced for us by the people on stage around him and in the story. Like all my like favorite parts really were to do with the ensemble doing like cool dancing or being really happy as they watch things. Like one of my favorite things about the show was getting to see Callum Marshall be just an ensemble member whose joy throughout the entire thing was just like my favorite thing in the world. Oh, like he was just so like cheerful and energetic and his dancing and his face. It was so, so That's nice. so sweet, Jake. Oh my God. It was really, really lovely. Um, Joanne Jackson had this like beautiful voice that we got to see showcased a couple of times. It was really lovely. Mm. And then um, I just want to say as well, Luca Dahan was the young Elvis and he was very sweet. The oh. way that he was like, Oh my god, like some of the dance pieces that he would join in on with like the adult ensemble around him was just really lovely to look at. Oh my god, and it's easy to hate a child actor. It's the easiest thing in the yes. world. <laughs> so he, you of all people oh say that. It's Luca, well done. Truly. It's like, the list is like, breathing. <laughs> and then it's hating child actors. Yeah. <laughs> this is my list of easy things to do. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I want to <laughs> pay some specific attention. No, try that again. I have to, sorry, I'm excited because um, James McAlpine was one of the ensemble members as well. Mm-hmm. And he was in the ensemble, broadly speaking, that was his role. And then, and he was another one 
one of the, this thing we talk about, like people you can reliably look at to be an amazing member of the, like if you get sort of bored of like the center point of what the stage is, you can look for that person to enjoy your time. Yes, yes. That's all reliable. All reliable. All reliable James McAlpine. And he, in one of the sort of like moments where he was more of like a character on ensemble member, it was like one of these recording sessions and he and a few of the others, there were four of them sort of dressed as sort of like cowboys, it's like two boys and two girls sort of dressed as cowboys. <laughs> Did you lose your fucking mind? A little bit. And it was like, they were all sort of like standing around these microphones ready for Elvis to perform. And then this moment came where Elvis began performing and as he is sort of like part of the course when it comes to an Elvis story, it's people being a bit skeptical of him, but then he starts Elvising and then everyone's like, oh my. God. Wait a damn minute. <laughs> but it was like, additionally, there seemed to be this additional component, and I don't know how deliberate it was, but it was one of my favorite things in the show. It was like James, just as this cowboy, doing the backup singing for Elvis's song. Mm. And Elvis being like, you know, sexy Elvis. And it just seemed like the two of them had like an energy going on between them. And so then I, of course, had to spend the whole song being like, oh my God, are they secret, like, secretly in love? Um, okay. But yeah, that, just that would inject some magic into that number for me. It was true. I, it was just mesmerizing. And yeah. I had to spend the entire song just also imagining like, oh my God, is that Elvis's secret boyfriend? Is this the way that I learn about this element of his backstory that would make him much more interesting to me? Oh God, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. All the pieces so... are there. Put it together, idiots. Elvis, <laughs> more like... Pelvis, that's been done before. Famously. It was done in yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. was it? <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and speaking of our episode motif, the child Elvis spent a lot of stage time just standing behind main Elvis, <gasps> sort of just watching. A relationship I didn't super understand, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, to think about it right now, I guess it's like our inner child is yeah. always kind of watching what we're doing. Um, which brings me, of course, to extraneous nonsense. I ran into... I ran into Connor Putland, who oh. was... How do you remember that? No. That's a <laughs> um, Yeah, he was one of like the standout ensemble members in Midnight, the Cinderella musical. And oh I got to tell him that he was amazing in Midnight, God. the Cinderella musical. Oh my God, how exciting. What a beautiful, yeah, that was really, really that's fun. That's a nice little full circle moment for you. I don't know how that's a full circle. Shut up, Jake. <laughs> Be nice to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, that happened as well. Anyway, Elvis, <laughs> final thoughts. I enjoy any show that ends with an entire ensemble of people dressed in gold sequins. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. I was looking at the photo, it's a lot of sequins. So beautiful. Beautiful. And yeah, and I don't know, I don't think I dwelled enough too on like, especially like the women in the dance ensemble, which is all just so like, all like at the same level of really fantastic, impressive dance ability. Oh my God, amazing. It was just, yeah. There is something magic when you see people who can fucking dance. Like mm. it's like, there's, it's, the human body can move like that. Mm. Like I find that fascinating. I find that amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and that makes, I think me fascinating. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Truly, yeah, I wish, yeah, I, yeah, I wish the show had been more ensemble and less the story. <laughs> but I guess I'm just pitching a dance spectacular. <laughs> I think that's what you're doing. Yeah, I think I just. What you saw was a music revolution. <laughs> I guess. Ah, so in conclusion to the episode, James, what's one thing that you'll remember fondly from our conversation? Are we recording? Yes! <laughs> uh, something that I remember fondly from our conversation is probably the new trick. We start saying things at me. James, I think it's great that Elvis... Shut up! <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I'm going to use that at work when people annoy me. When a doctor annoys me, I'm just going to tell them to shut up. Good. Yeah. What about you, Jake? What's one thing you'll remember from our conversation that you'll like? <laughs> I don't know. I'm still swimming around on that revolve with all the ensemble members from Elvis, a musical revolution. Secretly gay Elvis. Secretly gay Elvis. <laughs> oh my God. You know? 
What happened to like little truck, a little truck stop Elvis or whatever it was? Little Elvis, <laughs> little Elvis, and I'm reckons I'm the son of the king. That's Which the means one. now the mother in Little Elvis had sex with Elvis. No, because he got dumped on her foot. Like yes, yes, he got left on the front porch in a guitar case. Yeah, but then his dad looks, looks like Elvis. But I think it was just meant to be a, like a trendy thing to look that way. Okay, I think. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, think. I want to see like a modern grimy version of that of Little Elvis. Yeah. We call Big Elvis. What if we rewatch that show when it actually sucks? It would. I remember loving the mother. Yeah, same. She was always very cool because she looked also a bit like Priscilla, I think. God, like, she had probably all choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, well, if we're in the midst of this very, I don't know, seemingly unnecessary Elvis renaissance, maybe that's oh the next God. thing. Big that's, Elvis. It's the next thing to get dredged up. Oh, you know, like a sequel that. series of like, growing I'm up with like, Elvis. I'm imagining like a shitty Riverdale situation. Oh my god, yes. Yeah, right? Yeah, like, I can see it working for Little Elvis. Okay, could somebody please Riverdaleify Little Elvis? <laughs> Hear me now! <laughs> Are you using witchcraft to make this happen? <laughs> I've, been watching a lot, I've been watching a lot of what we do in the shadows. Um, yeah, and as for you, sweet listener, thank you for being here. Yes, um, uh, we may already disagree with things that we have said on this episode of the podcast. We're <laughs> human beings and our opinions change. <laughs> as they should. As, as they should. As they, and friends don't let friends become theatre critics. No, they don't. We also have uh, an email and an Instagram. And if you're doing a show, you should write in and let us know because we would love to come and see it. Yes, use those mediums to let us know about your upcoming theatrical undertakings. Wow, that was... Genuine and authentic, Jake. Sounded good. Did it? You just did robotic arm gestures when you did that, which I think coloured my view of how you just said that. Oh, sure. Well, I hope that sounded warm. I'm very excited to see the things that you're all doing. Again, you sound sarcastic, but I he does mean this. Factor in my mental deformities. <laughs> <laughs> um, which ones? Oh, 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 o